He is faithful to us. Amen? Amen. Always. I always look forward to standing before you as we open up God's Word together. I ask you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. Uh, we'll be standing in just a couple of moments and reading three verses. If you're going, want to use that Pew Bible, it's on page 577 in the Pew Bible. Job chapter 2, verses 11 to 13 is where we're going to begin today. There will come another section of Job that we will look at later uh, in our message, but for right now, those will be those verses. Now, you've heard the phrase, it is darkest before the dawn. That's just not true. It's just not true. I actually, I, I, I look at it, you know, I, you get up before sunrise, and it's sort of bright outside already. Dawn is considered when the sun cracks the horizon. What's well, pretty light before that time? Actually, the darkest time is somewhere around midnight to 2 a.m., which is when the sun in whatever place you live is about as far away as it can get from you. And as the sun begins to make its way back, it eventually hits that new horizon in the east and begins to lighten up the sky. And so that's darkest before the dawn is just not true. But the one thing we know is that whenever it's the darkest, the light is eventually coming. Amen? Now, I know that many of you like to use the version. Bible app. I've spoken with many of you who have a Bible reading plan or different plans that you walk through on the version Bible app. And, and I ran into a one out there. And if you're a version app person, and if it's and if you're not and you want to be, it's free. You just go to download UVersion, the Bible in many different translations and all kinds of reading plans and devotional plans. It's a really cool app out there. But you might want to try this five-day plan that uh, I began earlier this week. It's entitled, if you want to search this, Joy Comes in the Morning. Just write that note down on the back of your call to action. You might want to look that up. Joy Comes in the Morning, and in you version, you can go and look that up under the Plans tab. I've begun this plan, and, you know, actually on you version, you can tell your phone to read it to you. And I like that because I can just hit it and keep on coming, whether I'm driving or whether I'm sitting at my desk. And there are a number of verses for each day of this five-day plan. And then it also encourages you to go back and read the chapter from which that verse comes from. And it's, a, it's an encouragement. You may want to give it a try. If you happen to do version and you happen to download and do this five-day Joy Comes in the Morning reading plan, I would love to hear from you what you heard, what you experienced, and how you felt about it. Um, so that's just an opportunity for you to dig in and do something this week to prolong this, your study in God's Word. But um, let's stand and read together from Job chapter 2. We're going to read verses 11 to 13. Job chapter 2, picking up in verse 11, which is where we left off last week says, now when Job's three friends heard of all his adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. 
For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Thank you. You may be seated. We left Job last week holding on to his faith, holding on to his integrity, having lost nearly everything, sitting in ashes, tending to his physical needs with a broken piece of pottery, still grieving the loss of everything, but probably his greatest loss that he is grieving is the loss of his children. Verse 11 says, Now when Job's three friends heard, now, this was not an immediate visit because we have to understand how this came about. First of all, what had to happen to Job happened. And then word spread. And then those friends talked about what they had heard had happened to Job. And then they had to make plans to go see him together. I don't know about you, but whenever we try to find two other families to do stuff with, it's hard to find your schedule, right? Everybody seems to have something. If you go, we're only going to meet when all three of us can meet, you might be waiting for a while if your schedule is anything like ours. So plans had to be made, and then the travel had to occur, and there were no airlines, there was no Amtrak. They had to walk this far. And so this took quite a bit. Think about Jesus' birth for just a second. You know how Scripture teaches us that Jesus was visited by the wise men, the kings from the east. And if we go back and how we've talked about it and how Scripture leads us to, to see this, Jesus was somewhere between the age of one and two when these wise men arrived. They didn't get to see holding an infant baby. They got to see a soon-to-be two-year-old toddler in that moment because it takes a while to have the event happen, hear about the event, make plans for the event, organize yourselves, and then travel. And so we need to understand that a lot of time has happened. It says in verse 11 that each came from his place. So these three friends live in three different places that Scripture has defined. But having communicated together their need to go see Job during this tragic time, even their communication was not going to be easy nor quick. They lived in three different countries, miles away from each other and from Job, but it was important to them to work together. It's estimated that Job, between verse 10 and 11, that Job could have walked this journey alone. Remember, we left him alone. That Job could have walked this journey anywhere from six months to a year before verse 11 says that his friends arrived. Now, I don't know exactly how long it is, but we do know with almost absolute certainty that it wasn't this happened on Saturday and his friends arrived on Sunday a long period of time where Job was walking this. Verse 11 said that the reason that they are coming 
is that they desire to mourn with him and to bring him comfort. So let's set one thing straight about Job's friends as we are going to be with them for a number of chapters in the weeks ahead. These three friends were good friends. They cared about Job. They kept up with Job. They heard about Job. These three friends had good intentions. They came for the right reasons to mourn with and to comfort. And these three friends, which probably makes them really, really great, is, and they came. I mean, they actually put their lives on hold to be there for their friend. Have you ever had anybody that put their life on hold for you? I'm sure you have when you stop and think about it. But think about that. These friends, these people that God puts in your life that will stop and put their life on hold in order to walk with you, to help you mourn, or to celebrate with you whatever you're going through. It's good to have friends like that. And we're given their names, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. You can get used to those three names because we're going to hear from them soon, not today. Verse 12 says that they drew near to where Job was. And they saw him from afar, and it says that they did not recognize Job. Now, I don't know about you, and I have encountered this, and I have seen people, the physical and the emotional and the spiritual strain of all that Job had gone through had made him unrecognizable to his friends. Have you ever seen something impact somebody's life so hard that it changes them? And they see that this has changed Job. It says that they, verse 12 says that they lifted their voices and they wept. They tore their robes and they put dust on their heads. And notice if you read how this is occurring in Scripture, that they did all of this just at the sight of Job from afar. It broke their hearts. They knew when they were coming, everything that they had heard, that it had been bad, that Job had really gone through a lot. And they probably were prepared for it to be bad. But it was much worse than they even prepared for. They didn't even recognize. Job. And verse 13 says that they arrive and they sat with Job on the ground. Robes rent, ashes on head, just like Job, outside, seven days and seven nights. And verse 13 says that they spoke not a word. It says a word to him for his grief was very great. It's possible, I guess, that they spoke words to each other. Scripture says they didn't speak to him. I don't know. Maybe this was just the quietest seven-day period of time that we could ever imagine. And remember, a couple weeks ago, I reminded you of the importance of what the Jewish tradition was called sitting shiva, where you would arrive 
and would not try to fix or would not try to speak. Your very presence was all that was required for that time to be helpful in that moment. And so I was reminded of this when I saw that they sat here for a week. Church, grief is real. And grief can and does express itself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Before we moved here, I came in May of 1997. Before we moved here, my mom passed away in March of 1997 from a pretty ugly and aggressive couple of year brain cancer process. And I remember thinking I had it all under control. Weeks afterwards, we're still in South Carolina, and Angela comes up to me and she says, you know, you're treating everybody horribly. I thought, that I was coping well, but I wasn't coping well. What I was doing was holding grief at bay. And grief is real. Church, grief is not, let me make this clear, grief is not a sign of weakness. But it gets better, church. Grief is not a sign of a lack of faith. Grief is the processing simply of loss. Loss of relationship. Loss of life. Loss of job. Loss of health. It can come in so many different forms. Grief is the processing of loss, hopefully in a manner effective enough to allow for life to move forward, to move forward physically, emotionally, and spiritually. One of the greatest problems I believe people face is that they have not dealt with their grief. I faced it. If you don't deal with your grief, church, can I tell you this? If you do not deal with grief, grief will deal with you. Perhaps you're dealing with grief right now. Maybe you've been dealing with grief for a long, long time. And can I tell you that if you have suffered loss of any kind and you are dealing with grief, let me make sure you hear this one statement. That makes you normal. If because of this sermon you go, man, I'm dealing with grief, or I need to deal with grief, we have resources. Reach out. Deal with grief before grief deals with you. And then we read in Job chapter 3. Now, we're going to read a section of Job chapter 3 in just a minute, but just follow along with me if you want to. I'm going to walk through summarizing as we roll into Job chapter 3. 
Now, I want to encourage you to take time after this service to go and make sure that you read Job chapter 3. It is one of the darkest, saddest, most challenging chapters in God's Word. But let me tell you, there is no place in God's Word where light does not exist. So I encourage you to read Job chapter 3 this week. But verse 1 of chapter 3 starts with after this. And so after this is after all of the loss, after the months of dealing with these troubles, after his friends came, after they had sat with him for seven days and seven nights, after Job had begun to process his grief. Church, I wish I could tell you that grief comes and then it actually disappears, never to be felt again, but it doesn't fully. Grief can be dealt with, and when it's dealt with effectively, you are able to move forward abundantly in life, but the loss that you've encountered will always be something that impacts you. It will always be something, it's like a scar. And you know what scars do? They tell stories. I have a scar on my shoulder from a go-kart accident where I got pitched out of the go-kart and landed on top of a chain-link fence. You know those kind that have the tops that are like metal spikies like that? I've got that scar. Now, when I was going through that, uh, that wasn't no fun to tell. But now, it's just another of the litany of things that I get a chance to tell people I've gone through. But Job begins, as we enter into chapter 3, begins to move forward. Verse 1 says that Job opened his mouth. Now, Job speaks after an extended period of silence. It would not be unusual. We know that Job has not spoken at all in the last seven days. That's what Scripture says. But it would be very likely that Job may not have spoken at all, or not much at all in months as he churns through this. Job's not the only one. David, in Psalm chapter 39, verses 2 and 3, and if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you some verses. You want to drop these down on your piece of paper, you can look them up later. But Psalm 39, 2 and 3 says this. This is what David said. He said, I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up, my heart was hot within me, and while I was musing, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. In a similar way, Job and the pain that he is dealing with was boiling up inside of him, and it got to a point where it was finally time for Job to speak. And here's what he said. If you look at me, I'm just summarizing chapter 3 right this second. Verse 1, he said, Cursed is the day that I was born. Now, I read where chapter 3 is a soliloquy. Now, you guys know Jeff, and you know that soliloquy is not one of my 
top 10 vocabulary words. So I looked it up just to make sure. Soliloquy is an act of speaking one's thoughts aloud when alone or without regard for any hearers. Do you ever talk to yourself? Good, because I'm not the only one who's crazy then. But when we talk to ourselves and we're, we're just letting it all out, sometimes you just got to let stuff out. And that's what Job is doing. Job is not speaking to his three friends, and Job is not speaking to his wife. And based on how we read this scripture, Job is not even speaking to God. Job is just letting himself talk. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get all of the words out, two things have happened. One is, is I can now organize what I've said into thoughts that make sense. And two is, now that I'm empty of all my words, God can begin to put stuff back in according to who and what he desires. Now, his wife... And his friends and his faithful, loving God are listening. But Job's currently not aware of all of this. He's just pouring out his heart. And let me just give you a quick rundown. In verse 3, he says, May the day I was born perish. Verse 4, May, the day be, may that day be a day of darkness and not light. Verse 5, May death claim that day. Verse 6, Jeff's uh, summary, may the year be only 364 days long. No rejoicing for that day, verse 6. Verse 9, may the stars be dark. Job desires the light to stop shining. Verse 11, I wish I could have died at birth. Why did I live? Why was I fed? Why did somebody care for me? Verse 13, he said, life would have been so much easier if I could have just died. Because in this moment, I would be still, and I would be quiet, and I would be asleep, and I will have been at rest. Verse 17, he says, the troubling ends at death, and all of my troubles would be behind me if I had just died, and that day that I was born didn't occur. Verse 19, Job says, I would be free from all of this. Do you know sometimes we will do whatever it takes just to be free of something? When in reality, we just need to stay right where we are. I read this quote by Christopher Ash. He said, a true Christian believer may be taken by God through times of deep and dark despair. This may happen to a man or a woman, catch this church, who is affirmed by God as a believer before the darkness, who remains a believer in the darkness, and who will finally be vindicated by God as a believer after the darkness. That's an important truth that we must get a hold of. That we may go through darkness, even though we have not sinned, we have not backslidden, 
We haven't done anything to cause it. And in Job 3, we learn that we must weep with those who weep. Romans 12, 15 says that. Mourn with those who mourn. I read an excerpt from a book. And you're going, Jeff, you've touched a lot of books this week. I tell you what, Job is challenging me. And it's causing me to spend more time. I want to encourage you, go with me. Be studying God's Word. But I read an excerpt from a book called, I'm Not Supposed to Feel This Way. It's about a Christian who suffers from depression and anxiety. In this book, the author states, it is bad enough that I feel low and anxious. But on top of that, I now feel guilty because I believe I should not feel this low and anxious as a Christian. I feel that I ought to be able to cast all my cares upon him, for he cares for me. And that's the struggle. Where we, we sometimes get caught, I feel bad because bad has happened. And then I feel bad because I feel bad. And somehow that makes me feel like my faith is diminished. But church, I know this is ringing true to you because it's ringing true to me. Because we've seen how Job has responded after each attack in his life. Worshiping and accepting God's purposes. That's Job 1.21 and Job 2.10, where Job says, will we not accept good and adversity from God? Will we not praise the God who gives and takes away? And while these two statements, I, can, I have found out, church, why pastors and why churches many times preach Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2 and then Job chapter 42, and you don't talk about anything in between because it's easier this way. Because while these two statements about Job's faith are clearly highlights that we have read so far, there is a great danger in us focusing on Job praising God and Job praising God after this struggle. Because when you focus on those two highlights, and then you jump to the end of the book, you go, Job had trouble, Job was faithful, God blessed him. Church, can I tell you, that's the prosperity gospel, and that's not true. That's why God gave us chapters 3 through 41. And that's why we're going to preach them all the way through. Because the challenge is, is that if we're not careful, we will cheapen Job's faith. We will say, Job was faithful. What a guy Job was. Went through so much. Was faithful to God. Man, I wish I could be that way, but I can't be that way. We cheapen Job's faith because we go, he suffered, he trusted. And we make it seem easy what Job went through. And then two... It damages our faith as well because we believe that when we suffer, we should not hurt, we should praise God, and we should act like it nothing ever happened. Except grief came. Because we struggle with loss. We struggle with troubles, and rightly so. Because the book of Job is far from being that simple, church. 
We must not allow what Job is going through to be softened, to be minimized. This is a tragic outcome in his life. But one that God has allowed to occur for Job's good and for our good as well. Job chapter 3, which I've encouraged you to read, and we're getting ready to read some more of it in just a second, will share with you that you can hurt, you can feel, you can struggle, you can vent, and still, still, still be considered faithful by God. And if you allow that truth to impact your life, all of a sudden, you begin to exhale a little bit, and you go, so I'm not bad? I'm not broken? I'm not ruined? No. You're hurting. And there is help for hurting. Spoiler alert, and if you don't like this, I'm getting ready to tell you something that happens in chapter 42. So spoiler alert, if you want to put your fingers in your ears, this would be the moment. But in Job 42, verse 7, God says that Job is right. Job gets vindicated at the end of the book. Church, that's important for us to hold on to, both as we study the book of Job and as you grapple with your own Fear, grief, struggle, faith, and loss. Job walks through suffering and teaches us how we can be faithful in suffering as well. So let's read another passage. It's going to be on the screen as well. I'm going to read Job chapter 3, verses 20 to 26. Verses 20 to 26, says this, Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death but it does not come, and search for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, and whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. That's the conclusion of what I believe is probably one of the darkest chapters in all of God's Word. But church, let me ask you a question. Did you see all the hope in that verse, in those verses? And you're going, Jeff, what are you talking about? I didn't see anything hopeful in those verses. Well, let me tell you, it's there. And I'm not going to just tell you it's there. I'm going to read this again. And so whether they put it on the screen or not, we're going to read it again. So go back with me to Job chapter 3, pick up in verse 20. We're going to read it again. It says, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul who long for death, but it does not come and search for it more than hidden treasures who rejoice exceedingly, who are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in 
For my sighing comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease. I am not quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Did you catch all that hope that time? Let me point you out a little bit of hope in these verses. Verse 20. Why is life given to the bitter of soul? Note the hope in this question. Job says, my soul is bitter, but I still have life. That's hope. Look at verse 23. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden? See, the hope in this question says, Job says, my way seems hidden from the Lord, but light still exists. Go back to verse 20. Why is light given to him who is in misery? Note the hope of this question and the others are born out of pain, but a question with undertones of hope. He says, I am in misery but I have light being given to me. Think about these questions. If there was no hope in verses 20 to 26 in Job, if there was no hope at all, why ask why? Do you think about that? The fact that Job is questioning why life, why light, why, why, why is because he has light, has hope. It may not be huge yet, but it is there. And church, that is a critical thing for us to understand. Because Job says in verse 26, I'm not at ease, I'm not quiet, I'm not at rest, and trouble has come. But church, can I remind you that lack of ease, lack of quiet, Lack of rest and the presence of trouble cannot extinguish the light of God. Light is used as a, to symbolize God, faith, and His holiness throughout Scripture. As Christians, we are called to both walk in light and to be light for others. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to write these verses down. I've got them all written down here. I'm just going to fire them off to you as I read them. But Micah chapter 7 verse 8 says this, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Wow. Psalm 18, 28 says, You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. John 1, 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Psalm 139 Verses 7 through 12 says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. 
If I take up the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Psalms 139, 7 to 12. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wow. Matthew 5, 16. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Three spiritual truths I take from all of this reminder. Even in darkness, in loss, Job cannot avoid God. Job may not be conscious of God's presence, nor be willingly expressing hope, but the faith granted to him by God, which is what we talked about last week, rises up in hope in his soul and comes out in ways that he doesn't even know that he's expressing hope. You saw that in those verses. Even in a time where God, where Job feels God is absent, that glimmer of hope is still burning. A second truth. The overriding theme in Job chapter 3 is restlessness or unsettledness. Job is seeking to understand things as they now are. Job, in his weakness, in his misery, in his distress, there is an energy in him that drives him to discover this God who has allowed all of this to happen. Why would Job ask the question, why, if there was no hope that an answer would come? And the third truth, Job's darkness points toward a greater future darkness. Church, can I tell you that here in Job, we get a glimpse of the cross. Job's friends cannot bring him comfort, nor to this point do they have anything to say. Job's utter loneliness, utter despair foreshadows a greater loneliness. Many centuries later from Job, and almost 21 centuries ago from today, a blameless man was in a deep darkness, hanging on a cross in midday. And this was a much deeper darkness than night, and a much deeper darkness than Job will ever know. And on this cross and in this darkness, we hear Jesus cry out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's in that darkness that your hope was born.
It's in that trouble. It's in that loss. It's in that forsakenness that Jesus went through that your rescue became possible. And that three days later from that forsaken moment, the light began to shine. Job understands. Job understands your pain. And Job proves that pain and faithfulness can exist together. Jesus knows you're lost, knows you're lost. You're facing loss. As he lost everything for you. And he stands ready at any moment to be your light in the dark. You see, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. But in all points was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus physically, emotionally, spiritually struggled and felt darkness around him. But it was the hope of God that never diminished that has created the hope that we can have today. Amen? Church, I just want you to know that what God is telling us in Job chapter 3 is loss hurts. Trouble hurts. And it marks us physically, spiritually, emotionally, but it does not mean that you are unfaithful if you struggle. Now, the one thing I know is that either one day before you have suffered loss or now you might be dealing with loss or one day soon loss may show up. I want you to know that the light of God, no matter how dark you think it might be, the light of God will always provide you hope in that moment. And it is okay to struggle as you reach for the hope. And it is okay to ask for help. And I encourage you, if you're struggling, ask for Amen? One of the darkest chapters in life God can use to create one of the greatest reminders of hope that we have. And it's in that hope that I encourage you to live. 
not in anything else. Amen.